everybody. Welcome to the Hallmarkies podcast. We are so excited today. Today we are recording this on New Year's Day. So welcome to 2022. It's very exciting. And we are here talking with the writer of Tis the Season to be Merry, like with Jen Kirkman. And Jen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. You're so welcome. And I just want to give credit where credit is due. I, I did come up with the story and write a couple drafts of the script, but a, a man named Dwayne Poole, who I've never met, but he did the third draft, which is the okay. polish. And a lot of what you see is, is, is Dwayne. And, and I, again, I don't know him, but I love a lot of what he did with the movie. So I'm just giving credit where credit right. is due, but yes, it is. It is from my brain. I'm glad. I'm glad you yeah. did that. And yeah, we're excited to have you a part of the Almerkis family. This is, this is really exciting. Thank yeah. you. So what we like to do is we start out, we like to talk about what inspired you. You do so many different things. Mm-hmm. As I was looking into preparing for this interview, you're a writer, comedian, actor, so many things. So how did you get started? Well, you mean in my, in my career, not just with yeah. Hallmark movies, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I've been a stand-up comedian for about, I don't know, 25 years now. So I got my start in the nineties in Boston, just went to an open mic. There really is not a very original story. That's kind of how we all have to start out. And then, um, you know, I moved to LA and I worked, you know, just day jobs during the day to make, to make money. I was doing standup at night for free. You know, you don't get paid for it until you start touring and get some fans and stuff like that. So it was like the first 10 years of my career was working whatever job I could do to make ends meet. And uh, doing stand up at night. And what was interesting is when you're performing in a city like Los Angeles, where most of the TV and movie industry is, you have a lot of executive types coming to shows. And I often got um, approached after my gigs by people who are hiring writers for different sitcoms or different late night shows, or even uh, Disney once contacted me to, to help write an episode of a cartoon. <laughs> and um, so it was, it was clear. And I'd always been interested in writing. I wrote as a kid, but went to college for theater and thought I would be an actor and that didn't really happen. And so it just seemed like other people were telling me all the time, we, we like your brain. We, we'd like you to write for us. So um, I got really lucky about 15 years into my not getting paid for anything (laughs) career where I started writing on um, this late night show called Chelsea lately was on the E network. Chelsea Handler hosted it. And uh, she, you know, so I wrote jokes for her and then she had the comedians that wrote for her on the air. So I started to get a little popularity as myself as a comedian. And that started me doing some touring and, and headlining comedy clubs. And then it just sort of snowballed from there. You know, you, you get more writing jobs. Um, after that, I, I wrote on a couple sitcoms here and there. I write on the marvelous Mrs. Maisel right now. So it's sort of like, it all just snowballed from there. And, um, I kind of retired from comedy this past year. I, I'm not touring anymore and I don't have any new specials coming out. Um, I have an album coming out next year, but, uh, mainly just focusing on the writing thing. And I, also have a podcast about anxiety. So that's sort of like how I started where it is now. And, and, uh, yeah, it was always more in the comedy vein. Did Chelsea, did he find you doing standup or was that how that happened or actually the Chelsea show ironically was the only show that I wasn't found from my standup. Um, it was, a you know, very boring. Um, I have a comedy manager and, you know, one of her jobs is to try to find me writing work and, like the, the producer of the Chelsea show at the time, um, 
just reached out to, you know, this is usually what happens. They reach out to people's managers and agents and say, well, they write a sample packet for the show. So you have to write, you know, a bunch of jokes, a bunch of monologues. And so they just liked my work and had, and called me in, but Chelsea and I had never met. And we both had been doing stand up around for a decade at least. And um, so that was totally just like out of the blue going through the boring channels of <laughs> writing a packet and having your agent submit it. So um, that's how that one happened. But ironically, other things I got plucked for from my standup. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. The, um, I don't know if you got a chance to see tick, tick, boom on Netflix this last season. Not yet. It's on my list of many things to watch. It was so good. It was my favorite of the year. And one of the things he says, this is once you've turned 30, you're all of a sudden you're, you're not an aspiring writer. Who's a waitress. You're a waitress. Who's a, who has, has rights for a hobby. I'm like, Oh man, that's not so depressing. <laughs> I'm 47 and I'm here to say like, I still haven't achieved half the things I wanted. I'm still hustling to, you know, yeah. there's no, um, financial security. There's no mansion. So I get it, but yeah. I it disagree. feels that way sometimes. <laughs> it feels though. that and, way, yeah. And, and of course, yeah. he, Jonathan Larson, who's the lead, the main character, went on to uh, you know have great success. Sadly, it was, it was he passed away just before Rent was to hit big, but but he he did get the success that he'd been looking for. But sometimes, yeah, yeah that that it can feel like is this am I going to be able to make it or is this just a hobby? You know, that's fun. <laughs> Well, you know, I was like, for me with the standup, there was a point where I said, I don't see how mm -hmm. I'm ever going to do this for a living. I just, it, it, it's not an easy thing. And I don't mean yeah. because it's so hard. There's just not a lot of avenues of getting an audience to find you. At least there weren't when I was doing it um, at this time, you know, it's 2008 when I thought maybe I'm just never going to have an audience. And um, I thought, well, what if it is something I just do at night for fun because I love it? And yeah that was what I did for a long time. And I think that's why it eventually worked out. And what's so funny is something that took the joy out of it for me was when it became my business. And so yeah. touring and worrying about ticket sales and it, I just don't want to do it anymore. So it's kind of ironic that I almost miss those days. Yeah. So, you know, you never know to anyone listening, what just do, do what you love. And, and, uh, I know it sucks to like, I hate doing anything else besides what I love doing, you know, to make a buck. So I get it. It's, it's tough. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I watched a documentary at South by Southwest called hysterical about female uh, standup comics. I don't know if you've heard of it, but um, I think my friend, Jessica Kearson, I think that's a documentary she made. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There were a bunch of, uh, a bunch of funny people in it and yeah anyway uh one of they talked about this this perception that men are funnier than women mm -hmm. that uh that a lot and you talked about it actually in your special as well that there was that uh so was that something that in clubs that you had a hard time getting the bookings because there's this idea yeah i mean it's so subtle you know no one ever said to me women aren't funny but looking back on my life as a comic is when you start to put puzzle pieces together and go, oh, wait, that was sexism because comedy presents itself as this, hey, you know, funny's funny, fair's fair. If you make the audience laugh, then you're going to do well. And, and you believe that. But then you start to look back at, well, think of all the biases, though, that people have. You know, maybe some of the times they weren't laughing is because you were a woman or gay or a black guy, you know, whatever, like it's a very straight white man, you know, world comedy is. 
And so looking back, I think of all the times I didn't get opportunities when I was younger to, you know, at clubs, they're not going to put someone brand new on because you're not that funny yet, but and eventually they have to try you out and let you do some, some stuff. And, and I noticed the boys in my gang would always get opportunities. None of us were funny yet, but for them, it was like, oh, they're not funny yet, but they will be. Oh, she's not funny because she's a woman. You know, again, no one ever said it to my face, but you look back and you realize the irony is there are these gatekeepers, the, the comedy club bookers, some of them women, you know, that haven't internalized sexism where they think if they put a woman's name on the the website or the marquee that people won't buy tickets. So they might say, well, I'm not prejudiced, but the audience is like, they really don't respect their own patrons. And what's so funny is I've literally never ever on stage, the thousands of times I've performed for the thousands of people, not one person. And I have a lot of people in my audience that they don't know who I am. They just showed up at the club. They've never said women aren't funny. You're not funny. You're a woman. You know, if yeah, sometimes people don't laugh, probably didn't think I was funny, but I never experienced sexism from the audience is always the gatekeepers, you know? And so that's, what's so hard is like, if you let me in, if you, if you put me in front of the people, I bet they'll like it because honestly, a lot of the audiences don't like the young guys that are doing comedy. Their, their material is usually about the same stuff and like sex and it's kind of dirty for the sake of being dirty. And so it's just, it's like literally not true that men are funnier and who's funnier than people that are constantly being shut out and, and told they can't do something like that just makes you work harder. And it gives you a better sense of humor in a weird way. Yeah. Well, I, I agree. I obviously, I mean, I think that, uh, that, you know, look back at some of like, uh, um, the, um, Jane Curtin and people like that, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the SNL greats that, hilarious just as funny as any of the the male cast members and what's so funny is in my stand-up life a lot of my audience I'd say it's like 60 percent dudes and straight dudes and so what I'm seeing is again like especially maybe even with younger people it's really not they're not even thinking about the gender they're just thinking about if they relate and and, and there's also this notion, I think that if you're talking about women things, whatever that might be, right. that everyone won't relate. And although men may not have the same experience as I do as a woman, they relate to the human experience. It's really not that complex. And so, so yeah, I think it's, uh, it's definitely gotten better with time, but honestly, not as, not as much better as it should, should, you know, um, it's, it's pretty slow going in the, in that field. I, 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 you know, I could, I'd have to take a college course to analyze why it, it just, the sexism and comedy just won't budge. Yeah. So when you're doing a comedy special for Mm -hmm. Netflix, so you have two, uh, do you, do you use, do you use new material or do you do your set that you're, you need that you're going on the road or, uh, do they just record you naturally? Or do you know, like, okay, this is a special, I, I have to do it special. Yeah. It's kind of like, if, uh, you think about it, like an author has a book come out, like, so that Netflix special is my final book that's on the shelves that has taken years to write and there's been editing. So when, like my first special um, came out in 2014. I've been doing stand up since 98. I had some jokes in there that were 10 years old, but hey, no one ever saw them. So 
with a lot of comedians, their first special is always like kind of the best one in a way because it's a lot of years of work. So anyway, I, I, I got together like an hour of jokes that I thought would go well together and stories and you go on tour. And so I went on the road for about a year, tested it out, did the hour, practiced it in every state in America, Canada, uh, Europe, you know, and then you film the special when it's, when you're just like absolutely sure that you cannot make anything better. And, you know, they send a crew, you pick a place and it's a real, big production in the sense that it's a little unnatural, you know, because you have to think about things like don't walk over there because there's no light shining on you, you know? So I don't love that part of it because it's, I just can't think about all that when I'm in the zone. But so then I, after my first special, they said, okay, you can do another one. And, um, so then I had really only a year to come up with new stuff. So then I went on tour again when I'm on stage live is kind of where you'll see me be more um, improvisational because I don't really sit down and write and then get up on stage. I kind of write on stage. So go on tour again, get a new hour. Then when it's ready, film it, that whole shebang. So it's interesting when I have a special come out, if I go on tour after the special comes out, I'm doing new stuff that wasn't on Netflix. And sometimes that's hard to communicate with an audience. You know, they'll, they'll see you on Netflix they'll buy a ticket to come see you or they won't buy a ticket. Cause they're like, well, I just saw your stuff on Netflix. You're like, no, this is new stuff, you know? So it's different. It's so different than music yeah. in that way where you buy an album and you can't wait to go hear them play the song, but in stand up, people are like, I already heard that do something different. That makes sense. Uh, I really liked it in the, in the most recent one, the whole section on traveling alone. Because yeah. I travel alone all the time. I just did. I just barely got back from going to Disneyland alone and people can't believe it they're just like they're like concerned for my well-being like yeah what you're going to Disneyland alone I'm like that's the best way to go to Disneyland first of all especially something like Disneyland where I'm a fan we talked off air yeah. um it's the easiest way to get on a ride when they don't have to like yeah, single rider line you and your friend or a group god forbid mm -hmm. and you can do what you want you don't have yeah. to go on rides you don't want to you don't have to drag a friend that doesn't want to go on the one you it's amazing, obviously. And like, you know, I, I love to travel alone because, and, and it's funny when I filmed that special, I had, I was in a serious relationship and I happened to be in London for work. And I thought, well, as long as they're paying the flight back, I'll just hop over to Italy and, yeah. and, uh, go to Venice. I've always wanted to go and, you know, drink wine and eat pizza. And it was great, but people felt so bad for me. I was like, I'm in Italy. There's <laughs> nothing bad happening. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, it is so strange. And again, it's like, it's 2022, you know, women, I don't know if this happens to men, it, it probably does. It's just like, I think people are very weirded out by anyone alone. And it's like, yeah. but if you really break it down and you ask someone, it's like, do you like, you know, traveling with someone and, you know, it's, it's a pain in the butt. So yes obviously like who wouldn't love to go on a romantic trip, but most trips in my opinion are not romantic. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, like you said, you get to do what you want to do at your own timetable. I can walk as slowly as I want to walk. I don't have to worry about any, cause I'm a slow walker and mm -hmm. you know, you can eat what you want. You can, I don't know. It's just, it's great. <laughs> yeah. And I'm living in New York right now. And, uh, I was going to a lot of Broadway shows by yeah. myself. Me too. So much easier. It's yeah. just, again, easier to get a ticket last minute. 
-hmm. and I can just enjoy it. It's not like you're going to be talking to the person anyway. And, you know, yeah, going to dinner, going to lunch, going to coffee, love to do that with other people. But things where I'm like watching something or walking around, I'm my own best friend in those moments. Uh, so when you're testing out a joke, do you, do your like friends and family get really tired of being like testing out oh, jokes on them? No, I don't do any of that. I only <laughs> do it on stage. Cause that's really, you yeah. know, it's two different worlds. It's like right. my friends, a lot of them are stand up. So in our spare time, we never really talk about stand up. I keep my family out of it. You know, um, it's really just for me. Like you can say something funny in real life. And a lot of times it doesn't translate to an audience, you know? Um, so I, thankfully no one in my life has to deal with any of that. I, it, I keep it real separate. <laughs> How do they feel if they're in a joke? My mom did not love it at first. And my mom has always been something I talk about in my act or someone, um, and when I first started out, I think a, she was like, what is happening? Like, why are you even doing stand up? What is this? And I, she was really upset and I wasn't even saying anything reveal. I mean, yeah. obviously every family has deep, dark secrets. I would never reveal anyone's secrets on stage. I, I reveal things that I think are funny that my mom said that she didn't mean to be funny. Like one of my first jokes was about my mom was always looking out the window at the neighbor and saying things like she hasn't taken in her newspaper in two days. I think she might be dead. I hope her dog is not eating her face, you know, just stuff like that, where it's yeah. like, why don't you knock on the door then? And so my mom came to a show and saw that and she was so upset and it was like, wait, but I'm not saying anything mean. And she just didn't get it. And then eventually she understood that like it's with love and that, she came to some shows. And one time I said, Hey, my mom's in the audience and people went crazy, you know? And so now my parents are like minor celebrities. Um, if they come to any of my gigs, I tell the audience that they're there and they post for pictures. I mean, they're real hams. Now they post for pictures after shows. I had a show about my sister smoking pot in high school. She didn't like that joke. She's in her fifties. Now she was in her forties right. at the time. I said, Gail's a story about 30 years ago. She goes, I don't like it. And I'm like, it's weird. Like every once in a while they don't, but, um, I try to be sensitive in advance, you know, where I don't talk about things. Yeah. I think they would really be hurt or, or embarrassed by. Um, so yeah, but it's definitely come up. We'd like to take a second from this episode of the podcast to celebrate our sponsor of this episode. And that is the Hallmarkies Patreon. Do you love Hallmarkies podcast? Do you want an inside scoop into what happens on the podcast? Do you want early access to episodes and loads of cool perks? Now is the time to become a patron of Hallmarkies Podcast. By becoming a patron, you get to access our patron Facebook group. You can request episodes or even be a guest on the podcast. And most importantly, any patron can join our monthly movie watch-alongs with stars like Paul Campbell, Natalie Hall, and more. It's as low as $2 a month to join in and become a special part of the Hallmarkies family. Please consider, and we will love you forever. Go to patreon.com slash Hallmarkies. That's patreon.com slash Hallmarkies. So it must be a perfect fit for you to work on uh, Mrs. Meisel, since it's all about a, a, a woman becoming a stand-up comedian perfect fit. And, you know, I 
I'm kind of an old soul. My, my parents um, are in their eighties and they were always a little older than the other parents of my, you know, my, my friend's parents. Um, they had me like in their late thirties, which was not really a thing in the seventies. And so anyway, they, they're very like from the fifties, they got married in the fifties and went to high school in the fifties or I don't know when they got, or went to high school in the fifties, got married in the late fifties. Anyway. So I've always been kind of interested in that culture. I was a big fan of Lenny Bruce, who, um, you know, we represent him on the show. Um, and when I first started in comedy or like before I ever got on stage, I was really fascinated by the comedy scene um, that had come and gone that was in the uh, village in New York City in the 60s. It just seemed so cool to me. So I was just kind of had an affinity for this era anyway. And yeah, when I got the meeting to meet about writing on the show, I was so excited. And it's been literally just a perfect fit for me because, um, you know, even the parts that aren't about stand up, I just love anything that's about, you know, New York or families and, and especially comedy. Yeah. And what's yeah. so sad is that like, there are some experiences that Midge Maisel goes through that I'm like, oh my God, it's still like that today. Like it, ha you know, it hasn't changed back to the, uh, you know, the, the yeah. treatment of women in comedy. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Rachel Brosnahan is so good. I mean, she's incredible. incredible. <laughs> and it was just like right out of the gate. It's like yeah. first season she's winning the golden globe. She's winning the Emmy. I mean, she's just from the minute um, yeah, from the minute the show started, she like had that character so down. In the in the sense that you were a story editor, I don't know that title. What is that? What do you do? What does story editor? It do? just means writer. It's <laughs> so bizarre. So the writers guild, this is so boring, but maybe people might find it interesting. Most every TV show that you see, the writers are front or in the union, the writers guild. Yeah. And every year you get like a little percent raise and a different job title. So it goes consultant, staff writer, story editor, executive story editor, co-producer, producer, executive producer. So all of those people literally have the same job. We write, but That's I don't know why they call it these weird things because I get so many weird questions from family members. You know how to edit. I'm like, no, I'm not really editing. It's all the same job, but the higher up you get, you just have a little more responsibility. Like they look to you to solve a plot problem or something like that, you know, but um, it's all the same job. It's so hilarious. And so this year, my title is co-producer, which sounds super fancy, but I'm just <laughs> doing the same work I did before, you know, oh, that's funny. I didn't know. Yeah. That. That's it's really like annoying almost like I hate <laughs> that the writer's guild does that. That's why if you're ever watching a sitcom like friends and you see the credits and it just says producer, producer, co-producer, and you're like, how many producers does the show have? It's just writers, but it's like a fancy title because yeah. they've been in the union for 10 years. It's so weird. That's that funny. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about tis the season to be merry. Yes. Yes. So have you always been a big first Christmas movie fan and then Hallmark movie fan? Yes. Well, I'm a big Christmas fan, just obsessed. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. I'm the type putting up the tree on Halloween and <laughs> I just think it's the most wonderful time of the year, you know, and I, yeah. I, today is just like, again, New Year's day, big bummer of a day for me. Cause it means we're really sliding out of the season. We're the furthest we'll ever be <laughs> from next Christmas, you know? Um, and I think we should keep lights up all winter, but anyway, Christmas lights it is. Um, mm -hmm but always been a big fan of the Hallmark movies. And I'm very Hallmark specific. It's not Lifetime. It's not all the new ones on Netflix. It's Hallmark. Yeah. And 
as seeing as they do 40 a year, I don't really have time to branch out to other networks. I've seen other networks, Christmas movies. It's always going to be Hallmark for me. And so I think the first one I saw, my family and I were watching it. This has to be 10 years ago. I think it was called A Boyfriend for Christmas. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's a classic. Yeah. And it was just funny. My whole family was watching it and we were kind of making fun of it. And anyway, I just fell in love with them. I, I don't even know anymore if it's ironic, not ironic. I don't think it's ironic. Like I don't hate watch anything. It's a big I, Santa, I, Santa magic movie boyfriend for Christmas. Yes. Yeah. I love all the different tropes. Like, mm-hmm. um, my least favorites are the Royal ones, mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, I've always yeah. been a huge fan. And, uh, you know, once it started being like, they do 40 movies a year, then that became what I did for those two months. You know, I didn't watch any other TV shows or movies. It was, that's what I watched. I yeah. taped recorded, whatever you want to call it, every episode. And yeah, it's a tradition I still have. I, I haven't finished all of them this year. I have a few left that I'm saving for, um, you know, I just don't like when everything in the holiday season ends. So this year I had a new tactic, which was don't watch all 40 before January 1st. So there's still some left I haven't seen. Well, cause your movie was the last premiere. I didn't realize that until yeah. after. Cause I was like, wait, <laughs> they're not having new movies during Christmas week. That's I know, so it's weird. weird. So there's probably quite a few people actually listening that still haven't caught up to it or haven't watched it. And so if you haven't, you should totally watch it because I really enjoyed it. And I, I how how did you get the idea to first for the movie, but then also just end up doing this for a Hallmark? It's totally random. So I've always talked about my love of Hallmark movies and, and, um, you know, even just making a little Instagram video about it or something. So the, the, the people at Hallmark were aware of this and yeah. And so my manager, my comedy manager had an assistant who, um, you know, was the assistant for a long time. And then she, her goal was to work in television development. So she got a entry level development job at Hallmark and she specifically was working on the Christmas movies and she knew how much I loved these. And so she told her bosses, you know, about me and they're like, Oh yeah, we, we, we are aware. Like we've heard her, you know, seen her talk about on Instagram and blah, blah, blah. Um, so she set up a meeting for me to pitch them some ideas. And I've pitched a lot of stuff in my life. I've, I've sold sitcom ideas to, um, networks the, where I wrote a pilot, but it, it never got made, but it's a really, um, the pitch process is pretty intense, but not with Hallmark. It's, it's a little more, um, a little more freedom. So I, I pitched them over the phone. I had a few ideas. One was about a matchmaker and they said, um, Oh, we already have a movie like that this year. So do you have anything else? And I, 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 I had an idea about a, a love columnist and that, you know, has a mishap with her relationship and it, it uh, blows up in her face and she ends up going home with her best friend, who's also her editor, uh, to a small farm in Vermont and, you know, rekindles with someone she knew when she was younger, but not, not a high school sweetheart, but just, you know, her friend's dorky brother. And through him, she's going to um, figure out her writing career. You know, it was like basically something like that, but it was just like someone who gives love advice or goes on lots of dates and writes about it. And it gets to the point where she feels like, you know, it's just not cute anymore. Like 
I really am having trouble finding love. I kind of give up and then she finds it and then it actually revamps her career. That was the basic idea. Well, I really loved the whole concept, but it had the feel of sort of a classic screwball comedy of like Christmas in Connecticut, bring it baby, that kind of thing where it's like, they start with one lie and then another lie and another lie. And it just becomes this this crazy thing of, well, do you want to hear an inside story on that? So I wrote, um, first two drafts and in my version, Mary, who everyone is very confused about her name. It's, it's Mary M E R R Y short for Meredith, which I'm from Massachusetts and we say Mary, but some people pronounce it Mary. So people thought her name was Mary. And I was like, it's Mary, like Merry Christmas. Anyway. (laughs) So Mary, I had her, um, you know, writing a dating column, not giving advice, like, but it was just more like, you know, she writes about dates she's been on and they're usually bad and people live vicariously through her and she's very popular. And, and then one day she says, you know, I think I'm going to stop searching for that spark. I don't think that exists. I think that's just in the movies. I'm going to make a list of things I want in a guy. And if he has the same list, great, you know, we'll be together. So that happens. And just like in the movie, she meets this guy, Dale in a coffee shop. And in my version, they actually do date for a year, get engaged and then break up. So she writes a book about it. And then they break up at Christmas because she breaks, she ends it because she realizes something's not right. And he's bought them a townhouse in London where his family lives. And she used to like that he was a take charge kind of guy, but something doesn't feel right. And and she, she ends it. And so it's like, oh, wait a minute though. My book where I'm like, I finally found love. Here's how you can do it too. The book is already at the printers. And so now she's going to look forward to in the new year, her book coming out being like, I'm engaged and she's not. And, you know, does she go on a book tour and lie or does she tell the truth and pull the book, you know? And that was my original idea. Um, and then they hired a different writer to write the third draft. And so I didn't really know what happened. Um, they sent me a copy of the rewritten thing. And in that one, she had lied about the guy that there was never a thing. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. So the behind the scenes scoop is Rachel Lee cook, the star of it, sent me a direct message on Twitter saying, I'm such a fan of your comedy. And when I, when they sent me a script that you wrote, I I wanted to do it so badly. And I said, Oh, well, yeah, it's a little different than my original idea. And she said, I'm the one who came up with the fact that, um, Mary lied about the guy. I was like, you did. So Hallmark really empowers the actors to all of that. Yeah. to, To input things. And I thought, Gee, I never would have even thought of that because I'm a little sometimes too logical for my own good. I'm like, well, that would never happen. But yeah, but it makes it so quirky and funny. And and Rachel's the perfect actress for that role. And I just love that she came up with something so quirky. I think that's just really funny. Was really funny. And and like I said, it, it really brought back to screwball comedies, I thought, like uh, I, I like Christmas in Connecticut, you know, mm-hmm. Where she's lying about being a being a domestic, and I I I think that uh, that the only thing I was expecting for Dale to like appear somehow, you know, by the end, and there'd be that kind of, but uh, but it didn't need it. But that would have yeah. been funny too if he had like shown up. I also was glad that they didn't do the, um, 
oh, pretend you're Dale because the editor's here, you know, or any of that yeah. stuff with with um, Adam, because I just felt like there was enough conflict as it was yeah. that, you know, this editor was like, this guy doesn't exist, you know, and there's no way to to um, get around that. Well, I really liked also the fact that there were three couples by the end of mm-hmm. the movie. I thought that was really fun. And I loved the whole scene uh, where she goes on the date with James and she is expecting to, you know, this is going to be awkward. What's going to happen. And it turns out he's just, he's just looking for information on Darlene. And then you have Darlene and, uh, and Adam and everybody that are basically like spying on them in the restaurant. That whole scene was, I thought really funny. What's well, funny because in my original version, Darlene had a husband named Nick and he was sort of like the comic relief. He would say things out loud that were obvious, you know, like uh-huh. you're in love with Adam or, you know, whatever funnier than that line, obviously. And they wrote him out. They were just like, no, we don't need this guy. And in my version, James and Mary were going to go on dates because she felt like, well, gotta, you know, get back on the horse and this guy's asking, so I'll go, you know, and, and, um, she wasn't that into him, but she went and, and, uh, so I like what they did with it, where they made it that funny. Yeah. Yeah. Darlene's available. And I, what I love just the realism. And again, I, I don't know if this was the actors or, or Dwayne, the, the other guy that wrote the movie too, is you have these situations in Hallmark movies, all the little tropes of like, oh my God, you see someone and you think they're together and you get upset. I liked that they were all at the restaurant and Darlene was like, well, I mean, there's two restaurants in town. Of course, we're going to run into each other. You know, it just sort of undercuts. um, It it makes it more real. It's like that, that would happen. It's a tiny town in Vermont, you know? And, And I don't know why the guy had to take Mary out to a fancy dinner just to say, I like your friend. He could have just said it you know, anywhere, but it's like, Hey, why not? You know, it's a movie. This isn't, you know, um, a documentary It's like supposed to be funny and frivolous. And they had a pretty spicy for Hallmark, uh, be cute, which I was all yes! about. That was fun. Okay. That is my brainchild. Yes. And it's so funny because I, um, really would, you know, I was like, Oh my God, that's, that's something they kept in that I wrote. And they put it in the trailer. Yeah, I know. I wish they hadn't because then that would have been even funnier. But oh, it was, true. It was still funny. Well, I kind of liked it in the trailer because it was so different than all the other movies. I was like, ooh, this one's kind yeah. of, like you said, spicy for a Hallmark. Yeah, they don't like, do shirtless at Christmas. Yeah. I was like, is, oh my is gosh. Lifetime? What happened? <laughs> well, it's so funny too because I wrote that he was coming out of the shower, but never in my wildest dreams did I ever mean shirtless. I, I pictured T-shirt towel in his hair, sweatpants. I, yeah. I never meant nudity, you know, and I'm cracking up that the dude is like in a towel, like yeah. in a towel. That is a crazy. I was cracking up. I was like, good for them. And yeah. um, I don't know if you know the guys at Deck the Hallmark podcast, right? Mm-hmm. I know that Bran is always like, um, you know, there's needs to be more shirtless guys in these in these Hallmark movies. And I was just cracking up. I was like, so I felt kind of proud of that. And yeah. I, I hope it um, went well for them. You know, I hope so too, because <laughs> I'm a big fan as well. I'm with Bran on that one. <laughs> I mean, we're adults watching these movies. It, it's, it's not made. They're not made for children. We can have like a tiny bit of PG-13 content. Like, we can handle fine. it. And you know, what's so interesting. I, I wasn't that familiar with Travis Fonwinkle who played Adam. 
such a handsome guy, you know, um, doesn't have like kind of a cheesy look like sometimes the guys do. Yeah. But what's so funny is I was on his Instagram and in real life, he does those kind of go around the world, build things, help people in um, third world countries thing that his character did. I had no idea. So I wonder if that's what why they thought to cast him or why he said yes to it. But I thought that was kind of an interesting it all came together, I guess. Well, and he, I think it, the show was called You, I think the, the show that he's on where he showed oh, a lot that. of skin this year. So, Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So he's used so, to it. <laughs> I, I wonder if that's why they thought of him. Probably. <laughs> so, probably. Thank you, Travis. <laughs> we appreciate your sacrifice. Whenever I see someone with a body like that, it's like really <laughs> honestly, all I think about is like, oh my God, they have the strictest diet. They can't do anything. They can't have any fun ever. That must be so hard. They have to yeah. work out at 5 a.m. That's all. It's like not even dirt. My mind doesn't go to dirty places. I, I get exhausted for yeah. them. Like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, so also the, the ending with the airport scene was really fun it's really hard to pull off an airport scene now because of all the restrictions and everything right. and, and all this stuff and because you don't want to come off as like a terrorist or something like that but exactly uh, yeah so i i really thought that was good and then the whole don't go so fun well you know in my version i had her um trying to stop him but the way she did it was through social media so she did like an um, instagram live and he uh-huh. saw it at the airport because the teenage girl next to him was watching it oh that's cute yeah and then he ends up so in my version the christmas auction is actually the last scene and he shows up at it um so when they rewrote it a that's little interesting to, yeah so like he's bidding you know he raises his hand and mary's like do you have a bid and he's like mm-hmm. you know that whole thing. But when they, when I was reading the the new version of the script and I saw that they put that whole scene in the airport, I was like, Oh no, I don't like airport scenes. And then I read it and I was like, and then I saw it and I was like, Oh, they did it really well. Because like you said, we, it's like one of the fantasies that's hard to get into because it's like, we can't go past the gate. It's not a thing, but I think, you know, a, that Vermont airport is probably tiny. They all ran into each other before security. And I love that. She's like, don't go. And he's like, I wasn't, I was here to find you. It was just so realistic. Like that could absolutely happen. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I liked about it is all these fantastical things that are very romantic, but they're not ridiculous. You know, it's like, you could yeah. see that happening. Well, and there's just so many great romantic comedies that end at the airport, whether it's Donnie Hill or mm-hmm. Love Actually or uh, The Wedding Singer. You know, there's so oh, the many. The Wedding it's Singer just... such a good <laughs> airplane scene. Yeah. And it's hard to do these days. Yeah. And then you're like, you know, our brains just go to like, that would never happen. And what, where right. are their masks? You know, but. <laughs> But I thought it was great. And uh, yeah, it, it, it made my uh, top 10 of my favorite Hallmark uh, movies for this uh, Christmas season. So that makes me so happy. Yeah, I am so happy with how it turned out. And again, it was totally a team effort from the other writer to the actors. But I just oh, by the way, what was so shocking to me was I had written in my head. I was picturing this cute little family home in Vermont, like maybe a barn house, you know, six rooms. (laughs) That thing was a mansion. I was like, this house is gorgeous. You're telling me that there's no extra bedroom for Mary and that 
Adam's going to sleep on the couch. I don't think so. That place was beautiful, but I loved, there's something so fun. And I didn't think this would happen. The dumbest things that like, really, I shouldn't be proud of, but I, I go, you know, you, you, you write these scripts and you write, you know, interior Walter's family, Christmas tree farm store. And you you just, that's all you write, you know, and you let them figure out what it looks like and to see it come to life. And to see the sign that says Walter's family farm, I'm like, I thought of that. It's so stupid. I didn't do anything oh gosh, but write I that would, down. The, but I they made it the look same. so beautiful. It was so exciting. Yeah. And there were just all these little moments. I just, it's honestly the most, <laughs> in my career of things that may sound impressive or something, this is the most proud I've ever been of anything. And I truly like, I'm not hundred percent responsible for it at all, but being such a fan of these movies and seeing my name and knowing that like, Hey, I named that character. I cannot tell you what a thrill it was. I had the time of my life watching it. Well, we had a great time. And if, <laughs> if Dwayne is listening, we'd love to talk to you too. So please, you know, let us know. He's on we'd, Twitter. Yeah. I'll, maybe I'll reach out, but if you do happen to listen and let us know, we would love to have you on because he did a great job. The whole team and the whole cast was great. And it was just a classic screwball comedy. And I'm I, so happy with it. And you, know, I have an idea for a sequel. Mm, mm-hmm. um, how do you like this? Tis the season to be married. Ah, and then they get, it's like the planning cute. of the wedding the next mm-hmm. year and what can go right and what can go wrong and where they end up getting married as opposed to what they thought. So I am going to try to pitch that to Hallmark. So I've been like Googling and trying to figure out what the ratings were on the movie. Cause I'm like, I really hope that it went well and that they want me to do another one and you know, who, they can have anyone rewrite it. They want, but just please let me at least get a draft of tis the season to be married, please. Yeah. Hey, if you're listening to Hallmark, hire Jen to do more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we have some fun, silly questions and you get the holiday edition since you're a Christmas movie. So first question, what is your favorite holiday drink? Ooh, I'm going to have to say Bailey's and eggnog. Mm, okay. I like, I'm, I got into Bailey's in the last couple of years. So like put a little Bailey's and some eggnog or a little Bailey's and some hot cocoa. Yeah, there you go. Okay. What is your favorite holiday cookie or treat? Oh, I'm a big fan. Okay. Do you know those rice crispy treats that like, um, you can make them look like a Christmas tree and like there's green food coloring dye on it. I love that. That's my favorite with the little red. Oh yeah. Berries like a wreath. Yes. Like our Christmas tree. Love yeah. that. And I'm also a big fan of just plain kind of store-bought crappy, uh, like white flour cookies with all that frosting on top, you know, oh, shaped yeah. like a Christmas tree or a star can't get enough. Eat. I'll eat the whole box. <laughs> Those things will put you into like a diabetic coma. Yes, <laughs> that's what I, yes. It's immediate, immediate, you're asleep for two hours after. <laughs> that's right. All right. What is your favorite Christmas song or carol? Ooh, I think it is uh, Marshmallow World by Dean Martin. It is yeah. just a mm-hmm. delight. And it's a little bit different, you know? I never get sick of it. And yeah. it never like bums me out like some Christmas carols can be kind of like, yeah. somber. Yeah. All right. What is your favorite classic Christmas movie? It's a wonderful life. And yeah. I think it's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. I, I mean, I just, I watch it every year and I marvel at 
Jimmy Stewart's acting. It is incredible. And I always cry as though I'd never seen it before. And it's like my once a year, like big cathartic. Yeah. Crying for two. I, I cry the it's minute so the good. movie starts. I just cry throughout the whole thing. Yeah. Merry Christmas movie house. Oh, <laughs> it's, like that. it's so good. Uh, all right. Uh, which do you like better Scrooge or the Grinch? Ooh, I think Scrooge. Okay. Clear lights or colored? Clear. Okay. Would you rather be in a snowball fight or build a snowman? Build a snowman. Okay, good. I don't want to get whipped in the face with ice. <laughs> yeah, me. Okay. Yeah, mean, uh, that is a mean snowball fight. That yeah. is immediately where my mind went. Okay. Would you consider yourself a good gift wrapper? No. Okay. <laughs> good gift giver, not wrapper. Okay, good. Last question. Do you have an ugly Christmas sweater? No, but I'm not against it. I just never got one. Let me see. Do I have, I have, um, no, I'm more of an ugly Christmas sock kind of girl, to oh, be honest. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like an, an, an ugly Christmas slippers, like with bells on them and stuff like that. And that'd be cute. Yeah. That's good. I, I have a pair that I wore all through <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> well, very good. You answered all the questions. Thank so you. you. Keep making Christmas movies. <laughs> oh, from your lips to Hallmark and God's Yes, ears. please, Hallmark. <laughs> uh, well, this has been such a delight. It's so much fun to talk with you. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And and uh, where can people follow you on social media, all that? Um, it's just at Jen Kirkman, J-E-N-K-I-R-K-M-A-N. I'm on uh, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, kind of do the same thing on all three accounts. So pick your favorite. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. Yeah, we'll have that all in the description. So make sure y'all follow Jen and make sure you check out her specials on Netflix. They're not Hallmark friendly, but they are very funny. So that's right. Don't watch with the kids. That's right. Um, but yeah, you can follow me at Rachel's Reviews, all of our social media, iTunes, YouTube, and on Ron's Tomatoes. And make sure you're following the podcast at Hallmarkies Pod and the Hallmarkies Podcast, all of our social media. If you're listening on iTunes, please leave us your five-star reviews. We sure appreciate that. And you have your podcast as well, right? Oh, yeah. I have a podcast called Anxiety Bites. It's been sort of the uh, joy of my life. I to mm -hmm. start this project last year. Um, I interview all kinds of people from neuroscientists to psychiatrists to artists about anxiety and how we cope with it. And um, I hope it helps a lot of people. And it's free wherever you get podcasts. That sounds great. That's as somebody who's, who's dealt with my share of anxiety. That sounds like a really good one. Yeah. It's good for this time of year when we're coming off the, the Christmas excitement and it's just kind of blah, you listen to some anxiety help. That's good. Yeah. Well, you can give five stars to both of our podcasts. Please, please do. We appreciate it. And if you're watching this on YouTube, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. We also have our patron group and merch store. And thanks again so much, Jen. Really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to have you back on soon. Anytime. Thank you so much. It was nice to be here. <laughs> All right. Bye, everyone. <laughs>